0: Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'or Torah. I'd like to open up today with a tremendous lesson. That I tell you the truth, sometimes in life, those lessons come from the people that you least expect it to come from. Over 20 years ago, I was a bachor in Eretz Israel, and I was learning in an Israeli yeshiva, Yeshivat Itri. It happens to be that at that time, it was the war of Desert Storm. And as you remember, as I remember well, Saddam Hussein, may he rest in pieces he was shooting missiles into Israel. And the hazakot, the sirens were going off. And literally, people were living by their radio, quickly putting on the gas masks, going into the Chederatum, the sealed off room and then waiting for the green light when it's safe to come out you see they really suspected that saddam might have chemical warfare and israel was really worried of what exactly was at the tip of those missiles when he was shooting them into israel at the time i was an american yeshiva boy at that time in an israeli yeshiva right in the middle of that war now for the americans and i i'm a little bit embarrassed to say this but i'll tell it to you now because i'm a little bit older the american an american teenager at that time this was excitement. I mean, it was like the best of both worlds. We're learning away in yeshiva in Israel, but at the same time, we're smacked in the middle of an action movie. It was great. The sirens were going off, and people were running, and we got our gas masks, and we're going into a sealed room and waiting for the radio. And it was amazing. What an experience! Some of the guys took it a little bit too far. Some guys, every time the sirens went off, instead of going into the sealed room, they went up to the roof of the yeshiva and they would stand there with binoculars trying to watch to see if they could actually spot the tail of the missiles and the scuds and the American patriots to see the action in the air, what they called fireworks. But one thing I want to tell you is because we were a small group of American guys in an Israeli yeshiva, there was about nine of us at the time, they decided to send down a representative from the Israeli army, an Israeli soldier, who spoke broken English. And the idea was that they felt that Americans need a special shiur on how to work a gas mask. Well, one day they come down, and this representative is there, and it was Ben Hazdarim, and we all come out to the front grass in front of Yeshiva, and he's holding about 10 of these little cardboard boxes and we already put together that in each one of these cardboard boxes is another gas mask. He handed them out and he told us don't open it. And he began to tell us and give over a very emotional and a moving speech about Eretz Yisrael in time of crisis. Right when he finished his entire speech, he then turns to us and he says to us, okay, you have the green light? Open the boxes. And we didn't know what to expect. We crack open the box. The soldier was about to try to explain to us how to use the gas mask, how to assemble it, how to put the pieces together. But you know, guys, the minute we opened that brown box, we pulled out the gas masks in no time. We already assembled it, put it together, tightened the straps, and fitted it on the heads of all the guys in the group. We were quick, and the soldier was impressed. He says, I came down to show you guys. Step by step, you had it in a minute. But then we kind of took it a little bit too far because once we put on those gas masks, right away, Hollywood jumped into our minds. And we started taking pictures with the gas masks. Wow, this is gonna look great on Putin when I get home. And this was the laughing stock of the day. We had, it hurts me to say this, but we had a blast with these gas masks. Where literally you had guys laying out on the grass with the gas masks on in all types of positions on their back as if God forbid something happened with friends over them doing CPR and taking pictures and they sent these pictures back home to America to their parents with a caption on the bottom that said learning in Israel having a great time. Well, we were just joking around a bunch of teenagers with gas masks but this Israeli soldier did not find it funny at all and I remember it came to a point where he was holding it in and holding it in and biting his tongue till finally he burst out and he started to scream at us and he started yelling yeah for you guys Americans this is a big joke but for us Israelis this is not a joke for you guys Americans you can get on a plane and you can just fly away but it's very different when the danger is in your own backyard and it's threatening your own children. And those words pierced a hole inside each and every one of us, including myself. And boy, did he make sense. It's very different when the danger is in your own backyard and it's threatening your own children. I remember that lesson. And I'll tell you the truth. It was not too long ago, only a week, that, boy, did I get that reminder yet again. So many times we hear, God forbid, about sarot, Jewish people going through tough times all over the world, and we hear about it, and we stop for a minute, and we say to Helene, and we even say, Ah, oh, Hazit, the family. But then we go on with life, because it's so far. It's not close enough to hit hard enough to bring out a reaction more than the way we just simply react. But then the moment that, God forbid, we start hearing things that are happening in our own backyard, God forbid moments when we start to think, you know, after everybody woke up this morning and started to hear what was going on, my wife turned to me and said to me, do I let my daughter go to school by city bus today? There's a guy on the loose. Everyone had that text message this morning. They were looking for this guy and after the blast in New York City and after the blasts in Jersey suddenly we start to stop and say wait one second this isn't six thousand miles away this isn't the Israeli soldiers that we've seen on the Egged buses or at the, co- the hotel entrance this is right here in our own backyard these are our kids this is literally home at least for the moment and suddenly it takes a new meaning Suddenly we began to feel, wait one second, this isn't a joke. A little over a week ago, as a shul, we, Mag'en Avraham, got a big wake-up call. You know, predominantly we're a very young Minyan. We're a young Kihila. Baruch Hashem, we have over 150 guys, some married, there's Hashem, some on their way. Our demographic is really, guys, between the ages of 16 and about 33. From the original group of guys that I started with years ago, about 15 years ago, who they themselves were in 11th grade. Today, they're married, B'l'ayn Hara, with kids in yeshivot. And then we have the next and and up-and-coming right behind them. And Baruch Hashem for the chesed and the mercy that Hashem showed us in the building of the shul and the expansion that it exploded. B'l'ayn Hara, we thank Hashem Ki Unbelievable Hashem's chesed and mercy. But boy, did we get a wake-up call. Because as a young Minyan, we did not expect to wake up and hear that in our own backyard, families that are close to us, to hear finally that there's a gentleman that has such a mahala, that only in a matter of a few weeks, maybe a month or two, Hashem took him from us. And the Friday before, I got a phone call. Rabbi, the doctors only give him 24 hours. Please, can you come over to the center where he is now? They took him out of the city. They brought him to a place just to be comfortable. Somewhere out in Brighton Beach. Rabbi, can you come over quick? We need someone to say Shema. We need someone to say Vidui. I stopped on the phone. I couldn't believe I'm listening to these words. I'm a young guy with a young shul. We never had this before. We never had a situation like this. Vidoi? Shema? I don't even know how to do it. Forgive me for my, my innocence. I know everyone thinks that rabbis are supposed to know everything at the same time. I never had experience. And I never want to have an experience. Our guys are young. I just got used to the gambit, the Brit Milah, and marrying off people under the chuppah. That wasn't on the resume. They didn't teach us this stuff in yeshiva. What do I do now? I literally balked. I paused on the phone and didn't know what to answer the guy. And in a very simple truth, I said to him, I don't know how to do it let me go find out and I'll call you back I went and I started to call different Rabbanim of older Kihilot. and they told me exactly what to do I called Rabbi Lenkri who obviously has the experience and he told me step by step what to do it was then that I called the Hazan of Arshul and me and him together we went down to the center where this man was there in comfort we came up to the fourth floor and as we're coming out of the elevators, this man's young little girls, four girls, are coming in. Right when I saw these young little girls, my heart broke. Shema Israel. They must be coming now from saying goodbye to their daddy. To me, that was already something. Now I, I, I'm a soft heart. I'm, I'm not... Uh, I came out of the elevator. I came into the room. And I began to say the Tehillim, exactly as instructed, the way the rabbi told me to do it, and then finally we came to the chapter of Yosheb B'Seter Elyon, which is a chapter actually that deals a lot with a person on the brink. And there was the pasuk, the pasuk that struck me so hard. Venega lo yikra And a nega, which means, in this case, sickness, should not come near your ohel. Sickness should not come near your homes. Sickness should not come near your shoals. Sickness should not wreak, God forbid, in our families. In our own backyard. The families that we know that were so close. And I stopped and I said to myself, What's going on? And it was at that minute that I remembered that Israeli soldier's words from 20 years ago you see it's very different when it's in your backyard when it's your families and your children and how hard it hits we ask ourselves how did this come about what's going on and not just this older man but a young boy that we found out recently also here in the neighborhood 7 years old diagnosed with a mahala What is going on? We never heard of this. I went to visit this seven-year-old boy in Sloan Kettering out in the city. I know the family. And as I came in, one of my students happens to be a doctor in Sloan Kettering. He came downstairs to meet me. As I'm coming into the lobby, I look around. And the place is filled with Jewish religious people. I turned to my student and I said to him, Marco, please tell me that these people over here, they must be all from High Lifeline, right? Tell me that they're volunteers. To me, it looked like a Jewish hospital. I said, tell me that these people are volunteers. He says, Rebbe, I would love to tell you that. But that's not the case. All these people, they're all families of people that are here getting treatment. I said, what's going on? What's happening in Kali, Israel? what's happening in our backyard because boy is it registering and there was the pasuk the nega lo alecha." why is this nega hitting us so hard so much tzarot so many families We're all today dealing with something and right here in our own communities in our own backyards what is going on the rabbis taught us that the essence of Torah learning is the greatest protection for the Jewish people. Matter of fact, the Gemara says in Bab Batra that when the people of a city go to chip in to build a wall around the city, the Talmidei Chachamim do not have to contribute to it because they have a built-in protection. The Torah is their wall. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself as I'm standing over this man, and I'm saying to myself. But what do you mean? We have so much Torah. hara. Today our community came so far, so far. It's unbelievable. You come in here in the morning at five thirty a.m. There are guys all over the place learning up until Silichot. Silichot at six ten. Shachrit at seven o'clock. Then another center of learning from ten to eight to eight forty. And that's just the mornings. You come in at night from 8 to 10 o'clock. You have Anara room of 100 guys with rabbis sitting and learning in groups and groups. It's unbelievable. We have so much learning. That's just our shul. So many more shuls. In the morning, hundreds of guys. A beautiful Torah center. All the shuls today. Every shul almost has a Torah center. We have so much Torah that it's a renaissance of learning. So why isn't the Torah magne or matzle? Why isn't it protecting? What's going on? It's supposed to protect. But yet we have seven-year-olds diagnosed with cancer and 47-year-olds with young little girls at home. What's going on? This hit me so hard because it's hitting us so hard. What's the answer? I began to think to myself there in the room as I'm doing vidui with this man. The nega. Oh, maybe that's what it's about. We know that the concept of nega is a concept as is explained by the Hafez Chaim. It was once upon a time in time of Beta Migdash where a person would find some sort of a blemish of a sickness on their skin. It was called a nega. He would come to the Kohen. And in the Bet HaMikdash, or in the Mishkan, the Kohen would look at the Nega, and he would have to pronounce it Tameh. Now before the Kohen actually pronounces it Tameh, it's not Tameh. You need the speech of the Kohen to actually activate and create a Nega. Says the Chafetz Chaim. It's with speech. That the nega is activated and it's with speech that we can take the nega away the prerequisite for all negaim has something to do with speech it's the way they come and it's the way we can take them away what do you thought? and how true this is and I began to think to myself one second this guy Yosef ben Mazal, the one I went to sit with his last moments. He was a gentleman that cried out in so many shuls. No talking! That was his essence. He was a guy that when he walked into the shul, it was like in the old country. You know, the shuls, the way they used to come in. You see some of the older men, they come into shul, they stop by the mezuzah. They kiss the mezuzah nine times. Then they come and they stop by the Aaron. It's like they make local stops till they get to their seat. They come to the Aron, and they literally kiss the Aron again and again and again. And then they turn around, and they don't make stops by their friends. No, they make a beeline straight for their chair. They immediately open up the Sidur. Immediately they start to pray, but word by word. And they start from Korbanot. They start from the beginning. And they literally relish the prayer. And when they see people talking in shul, they look at them. They give them a look like, don't you know? We're standing in front of God. Hashem is here. This is his house. He had this demeanor. This gentleman, Yosef Ben Mazal, he had this essence that the shul to him was Kodesh Kodashim. It was Hashem's house. He wouldn't speak a word. And it bothered him when he saw people talking. I said to myself, this man is going to leave to us a powerful message of silence. And we're going to take upon ourselves, because of him, to make sure that everybody in all the shuls of our community opens their eyes to the concept that there's no talking in shul. And it doesn't matter what side of mechitzah you're on, we're standing in front of Hashem equally, and if it's the speech that brings about nega, we need the silence of the speech to be able to take it away. Because we're feeling it in our backyards, our young seven year olds, our young men, 45, 46, 47 years old, to be taken and to leave over a little yitomim. The speech of Torah works when our speech wasn't defiled. But if we abused the gift of speech, you expect the speech of Torah to protect? No. First, we need to get rid of the negah. Then we could bring back the speech of Torah as the fortification of the Jewish people. This is not just the speech in Shul, but this is the speech that goes between people and friends. How to keep our tongues locked and guarded to think before we speak, to know that people have feelings, to stop for a minute and think the words you're about to let go, what are they going to do to another person? Is that Lashon Hara? Is it Rechilut? Is it Sheker? Is it a white lie? Come on, Rabbi, it's not. It was more or less a little exaggeration. But where do you draw that line? Where are those words going? Rabbi Pesach Krohn was known to say many a time, that words build worlds. But the truth is, the other way is true too. The words can also destroy worlds and families and businesses and marriages and business partners and friendships. These are the words. What a wake-up call we got. Ladies, I don't have to tell you the stories. But a man once came to Rabbi Miller's, Zekhet Lebracha. And he said to the rabbi that there's a very young man. This goes back many years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. A young man in the community that was really diagnosed. The doctor gave him only a few days. The doctor said he had no hope. The man had young children. Everyone was broken. They came to Rabbi Miller. And they said to Rabbi Miller, can you give us a bracha, a biracha for fuah?" So he says, I can give you a biracha. But he says, I can give you something much better. Much better. He says, go to the shul where this guy prays and tell everybody in the shul to take upon themselves as a zichut for the life of this man, no talking in shul. And if they take this upon themselves, you'll see incredible flow out. And that's what they did. They went to the shul where this man prayed and they let everybody in the shul know that there's a congregant that was on the brink of being taken from this world. And it's up to them, by the word of the rabbi, to take upon themselves together <inaudible> that they're not going to talk anymore on Shul as a zikhut for the life of this man. And what can I tell you, ladies? It was only a week or two after that the doctors couldn't believe that the situation of this guy on its own turned around and he started to internally heal on his own with no treatments. They said they don't understand it, but the tumor is getting smaller and smaller as time is going on. They said, we don't want to touch it. And unbelievable things. Because there is a lot to do between the speech and the nega. It's not about anything else but. I think I mentioned once, maybe some years ago, I have a brother-in-law who's a Hatzalah member. A lot of times, you know, we hear stories about Hatzalah guys simply because we have family to it. A Hatzalah member tells over that one Shabbat he had Hatzalah call. There was a man in shul that had a heart attack, and he was literally flat on his back on the floor of the shul, and nobody knew what to do. Everyone was just simply standing around him in a circle. Hatzalah guy, he was the first guy, first responder. He was the first guy on the scene. He comes running in with all his gear and he's pushing people aside and you know, he's trying to get all his stuff ready and he doesn't really take a look at the guy on the floor yet and then he stops and he looks at the guy and he recognizes the guy this was one of his best friends growing up in school and because it was one of his best friends who he hasn't seen for some time emotionally it hit him you know they say it's very interesting that when you have a bunch of guys coming to a call if anyone has a relation to the... They have to step down. Once you're emotionally attached to the situation, you're not dealing with your full wits. Better give it to someone else who's trying to help the situation cold. But there was no one else there. He was the only responder. And, and, and by a heart attack, it could be a matter of seconds. So he had no choice. And Mamash, with tears coming down, he just he starts... CPR, he starts doing whatever he needs to do to try to bring him back. There's no pulse. He tries, he shocks him and this, and shocks him again, and nothing. Finally, he's ready to give up. He doesn't know where this came from. He gives a yell out to the entire shul. Everybody in the shul to save his life. Take upon yourselves no talking in shul. And at that moment, the whole shul... B'pechad, like by Harsi and they said na'asev and they all screamed, we take upon ourselves no talking in shul anymore. No more. And he went down for one more shot. And he shocked him one more time. And suddenly he feels a faint pulse, faint. But it was enough to work with, just to bring him back. The man lived, the man married off his kids because one Shabbat, there was a shul that saw it in their own backyard, on their own floor, within their own circles, and that stimulated them to wake up and realize this is not a joke. This concept, we should literally, and I'm so happy, I'll tell you ladies, uh, what was it, I think it was two Shabbats ago, Parashat uh, Shoftim, they did a national campaign program, of all the shuls across America, and a few in Israel, of no talking in shul Shabbat. It was the yard site of the, the, the uh, Tosfat Yom Tov, who was the author, the one that wrote the Mishaberach for the blessings of people who refrain and hold back from not talking in shul, which to me, by, by the way, I want to tell you, it's pretty amazing. The Tosfot Yom Tov is from the Rishonim. So that figure is, you know, maybe he lived, what, 600 years ago, 700 years ago, and in his time, they had this issue that he had to author to get people I mean, 700 years, 600 years ago. So you see, this is something we've been battling since uh, a long time ago. I don't want this to come out wrong, but especially shame on us, the Svaradim. It hurts me to say this. But I heard from my Rebbe in Yeshiva, that the Gerar Rebbe the Gerar Rebbe the was known to say that the reason why the Holocaust did not hit the Sephardic countries was because of their kiddushah and their fear of the shul in the old country there was no talking in shul and the old country a shul was a shul in the old country, it was very, very wholesome. They used to wake up for Bakashot at 4 o'clock in the morning. They used to come into shul to them. It was an experience. They would literally drink every drop of it. Wow, how things changed when we got to America. This is something we got to remind ourselves. Don't get me wrong. I heard from my grandmother, as you may, many have known, the Nazis made it to Morocco. The Nazis made it to Lebanon, they made it to Syria. They even had a deal with the Mufti, I heard, that they were actually starting to uh, make uh, plans. My grandmother tells me she remembers seeing the Nazi officers in Casablanca. She remembers, she remembers. Aleja Shalom, she's no longer but She used to tell me these stories. They made it to the Middle East. They made it to our countries. But they didn't touch anybody. Why? Because there was no talking in shuls. There was no feeling of zilzul in the shul. The shul by us was Kodesh. The Gerarebi said this. Not the Viban. The Gerarebi said this. He said that's why they weren't able to be touched. Do you understand what this does for us? When we keep our shuls proper, it actually keeps us. It fortifies us. Then the Torah is Torah. The Tefillah is Tefillah. Everything is on a different level because then we come in front of Melech, Malchia Melachim, in his home and how we're able to connect with such a feeling of Yirah and awesomeness. But if you're coming in on a social scene and the whole conversation is in the back corner about business that week or if we're talking about where you're going for vacation midwinter in January and how this one made the bear that guy's making good and this guy lost his pants and everyone else's news of money go if that's what you do in shul where do you go to pray where do you go to pray where do you go to the place that you want to pour your heart out and connect the Bore the only one that can do for us and actually answer us we need to take back our shuls ladies on either side of the Mechitza, we need to take back our shuls. We need to go back to the roots of the Svaradim and of Klali Yisrael. That a shul was mamash kodesh Kodashi. And if we could do that, if we can get rid of that speech, we can get rid of the nega, we can get rid of all of that. We can get back the fortification that we need. It's amazing how the Midrash reads... But before I tell you this Midrash I want to tell you the end of that tough Friday where after we read the Tehillim and we said with him the Vidui. you see a Jew I was trying very hard to get him to actually not just hear but to say the word Shema Yisrael it is a big thing for a person to say the words it's amazing to me how I said to him, Yosef, say the words. These are the words that you love. These are the words of tefillah. This is what you stood for. Out of nowhere, this is a guy who didn't move. This is a guy who we thought was listening, not listening. You know, when they go under, you don't know. All of a sudden, he picks up his right hand and he goes like this to his eyes. And I see his lips. And that hit me so hard. I screamed, Shema Israel, Hashem O'Kedua, Hashem, Echad. And he shaked his head like this. And then he put his hand down. And it was only uh, on Sunday that we had the Levaya. And we remembered that last Shema Yisrael of Yosef ben Mazal should stand for the whole community, a zechut, that amazing Shema Yisrael. And what he stood for? He stood for a man that knew when to talk and even more so when to be quiet. Not just in shul, even around people. He didn't speak a lot. He didn't speak a lot, he said nice words to people. He loved to learn Torah. He was the guy that when people used to work for him many years ago in his jewelry store, he had workers, he would drive them home from Fulton Street, he'd drive them home. Now generally, what is the boss worker conversation on the way home? You gotta do this better, and when somebody walks in, you gotta make this, and you gotta sell that, and you gotta do this, and he, that's generally the conversation. How am I going to make you make more money tomorrow? That's generally the conversation. Oh, but not here. Thank you. I have, I have a but not here. This man on the way home on the drive, you know what he used to tell his workers? I heard a beautiful peshat, a beautiful piece of Torah. I want to tell you guys. And his workers told me, after the burial, he told, they told me that when we used to drive home, we couldn't believe it. This was a boss who would used to te- talk about Torah on the way home from work. We saw where his mind is. We saw where his heart is. This is an example. An example of a regular guy in our community who just loved Torah, loved Tefillah, and loved what the shul stood for. And now he's sending us a resounding message to remember his legacy by picking up his example. It's a tremendous thing. Ladies, I want to tell you something. The course of history The way Hashem runs this world is brilliant and mysterious at the same time. It's amazing how every time we take a beating, it always follows right away with an incredible growth and an incredible renaissance. And you see this all the time. The Midrash is the one who taught us this at first. The midrash tells us that Hashem's unbelievable hashgacha is on everything in this world, down to the blade of grass. That even the blade of grass to grow, it's with Hashem willing it to grow, with His hashgacha helping it to grow. The midrash puts it out in the following way: says the midrash that Hashem has an angel, a malach, standing over the blade of grass, hitting it, telling it grow, grow, grow. So a rabbi once asked. Why does Hashem have to go and dispatch an angel, a malach, to stand over a blade of grass and hit it to make it grow? Can't it just tell it, grow? Grow! You have to hit it to grow? Why does the poor grass have to take a beating in order to get the message through that it should grow? The rabbis told us this is the secret. We grow from our beatings. We grow from the tough moments in life. And sometimes the beatings were the springboard to bring out from a person their greatest growth. Because many times when we go through difficult moments, if we could hold on tight to those drawstrings of emunan right after comes an incredible renaissance of growth. As a rabbi, I can't tell you detail, but I will tell you that over the years, Every time I took a beating, right after that, something great happened to the shul. And we expanded and we grew, and new places and new horizons. And Bli'ain Hara, our own place today, growing Bli'ain Hara, leaps and bounds. We took a beating this past week. We took a beating. And we are accepting بأحفة, everything that Hashem sends to us. And we're gripping on the knowledge that after every beating is gonna come a great growth of Renaissance, a great comeback. We're gonna bounce back with more Torah, with better tefillot, with people that finally are now really seeing that this concept of talking in shul is just unacceptable, unacceptable. And let that stand for the memory of Yosef Ben Mazal and this young seven-year-old boy here in the neighborhood who's still now going for treatments. Let it be a zikhut for him as well. Yaakov ben Miriam. Yaakov ben Miriam. Let it be a, an example, let it be a zikhut for this little boy as well, to come out of it quickly and healthy. Because, ladies, we found out that Achaim chaim Hamavet tluim balashon is an amazing midrash. The midrash tells about a king. The king came out with a very acute, a very unique sickness. He had many doctors in the land. And they all came to diagnose the sickness. But when they saw how rare and how deadly the sickness is, they told the king, We know of no medicine. We don't think you have a lot of time. Your Majesty, we're sorry. We've never seen the sickness before. We don't have a cure. The king heard that there was one Jewish doctor who was supposed to be brilliant. The doctor that's supposed to know what other doctors don't. They brought him to the king, to the castle. The Jewish doctor examines the king, and there he tells the king, Yes, they're right. You have the sickness they claim you have, but I know the cure. What? You know the cure? I'm the king. I'll pay you anything. I'll give you. Royalty, I'll give you stature, I'll, I'll, I'll make you the governor of a city or whatever you want. What's the cure? He says, Well, Your Majesty, huh, it hurts me to tell you this, but the cure might be as tough as the sickness. He says, What do you mean? Well, the only way for you to live, the only way for you to live through this sickness, is only by somehow or other finding a cup of milk from the milk of a lioness. He said, What? How do you get the milk of a lioness? He says, well, that's precisely the point. It's not going to be easy to get the milk of a lioness and live. But at the same time, we would like you to live. But that's the cure, your majesty. If you can figure this out, you'll live. But we need a cup of the milk of a lioness. And that's your cure. The king was twisting and turning. How how am I going to do this? The king says, money can buy anything. The king next day sent out a proclamation to the entire kingdom. Any man that brings me the milk of a lioness, I will award that man an incredible sum. He and his great grandchildren will never have to work. (laughs) People heard. People laughed. Was the king crazy? All the money in the world doesn't come to the value of a moment of life. We're going to put our lives in danger. We're going to go into the lion's den to try nonetheless to nurse the milk of a lioness. Are you joking me? They left the king saw that you know he had no takers a few days later the jewish doctor comes back and says your majesty i think now you'll appreciate my wisdom not only was i the one that knew the refu'ah to your sickness but i'm also the one that has the chokhmah to know how to get milk from a lioness and live wow this guy is unbelievable this jew is unbelievable okay If you get it for me, I will give you Ad Malchut He goes The Jewish doctor He goes out to some jungle Wherever it was, the Midrash doesn't tell us He goes to the jungle, the yar, the forest And he finds the lion's lair And sure enough There's the lioness with her cubs And they're all feeding from the mother He brings with him a big piece of meat The lioness looks at him He flips the meat inside the lair The lioness pounces on the meat and rips it to shreds. And then he runs. He doesn't want to be deserted. He gets out of there. He leaves. He comes back the next day. And he has again a piece of meat with him. But this time he walks up to the door of the lair. Throws it in. The lioness looks at him. She jumps on the meat. He runs the next day again. But this time he walks inside the lion's lair. Right up to the lioness drops down a piece of meat in front of her and gets so close that he was able to pet her head he was able to touch her and she didn't move he found a friend the next day he comes back with many pieces of meat many good steaks and he walks into the lair and the lioness sees him and doesn't budge she doesn't even stand up she's not even startled He walks right up to her, and he drops down the first piece of meat, and she jumps on it, and then the second, and the third, and the fourth. Enough meat to keep her nice and busy. And then very gently, very gently, he slips his hand under her belly, and he actually is able to get a cup of milk. And she doesn't budge. Gently, he walks out of the lair and starts making his way back to the king. He can't believe it. The Chochmah worked. He's now going to be a mayor and a governor and all the money. He's thinking already, where is he spending it first? As he's on his way back, he was really tired. It's a whole trek out and forth. So he decided, says the Midrash, he's going to sit under the tree. He sits there under the tree. He puts the cup aside and he begins to fall asleep. And suddenly he has a dream. And in his dream, a fight breaks out. By the way, the Benish Chai also brings this story. A fight breaks out between all the body parts where the hand says to all the body parts I am the by far the most of the entire body if not for me there's no way you would have been able to slip under the belly of the lioness to get the milk I'm the hero I saved the day it was just then that the feet said wait 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 hands relax if not for us the first day you showed up to the lair if we didn't run like the wind, you would have been deserted. we would all have been eaten. What are you talking about? We're the most chashuv. If Not for us, this would never have had a shot. Just then the eyes pipe in, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Let's not forget who found the lair. Not for me, you couldn't find nothing. And then the brain pops in, uh, uh, Rabotai. excuse me, who's the general here that came up with the plan? Who's the one that literally carried out the plan from soup to nuts? The Chochmah itself. Travelmen, relax. You know who's the most chashuv. Just then, the tongue pipes up and says, you all think you're the most chashuv? You're going to find out today that I am by far the king of the entire body. And just then, the man wakes up. He wakes up. He says, what a weird dream. He picks up the cup of milk. He makes his way now to the castle. He comes into the king. Your majesty. Your majesty, take a look. The king sees he's holding a cup of milk. The king jumps off his throne. Is that? He says, yes. This is a cup of milk. It's the milk of a dog. The king says, what? Excuse me? Say that again? What did you say? You mean a lioness? No, no, no. A dog. A dog? You brought me dog's milk? I could have gotten dog's milk. I got dogs all over this kingdom. A dog's milk? You told me a lioness. Ah, I get this. this, You're making a joke out of me. You think it's funny that the king is going to die. You think that you're trying to show me like I have no shot at living. The king got so angry. First he tells me this. Now a dog. This guy's a big sketch. Off with his head. Just then, the soldiers come running in. The body starts to scream. They scream to the tongue. Quick, change it. tell him what it really is tell him it's lioness milk tell him what we went through just to get it the tongue says nope not telling him a thing unless all you guys want to tell me that I'm the king because if not we're all hanging today the body starts screaming tongue you tell him the truth nope I'm not saying a word until you crown me king finally the body says okay the hands and the feet and the eyes and the brain, they all agreed. Yeah. It was just then that the tongue screams out, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, you're dealing with a man of Chokhmah. You have to look deeper into my words and see what I meant. When I told you it was a dog's milk, of course it's lioness milk. I'm only here to save the life of the king. The reason why I told you it was dog's milk, because with my Chokhmah, It was so easy for me to get the lioness's milk, as easy as for someone to get dog's milk. Oh! The king says, "This guy is el hakim. This guy is smart. Hachav, this guy." ha-kavod. and showered on him all the wealth and all the riches. Ladies, we don't have to look too far these days. We're waking up in the morning to different news day after day. Our phones are ringing with text messages to pray for this one and cry out for that one. But now that it's hitting hard and it's hitting home, boy, do we feel it. There's no way we can't react. Let's pick up the message of Yosef Ben Mazal and so many of the generation that preceded us. A shul is a shul. There is no talking in shul. Take this upon yourself. You'll see incredible yeshuot. The Chafetz Chaim used to say that people would go to Africa if you would tell them it's a sigula for wealth. He says, little do they know that the greatest sigula for wealth is right there at the tip of your tongue. Chafetz Chaim used to say that there are people that were supposed to be very rich, very wealthy, and they lost their entire parnasah because they couldn't guard their tongue from illicit speech, from Lashon Hara, from Rechilut, from talking in shul. Let alone the Machalot and the Tzarot that we're dealing with, that it brings upon, the speech that brings the nega. It's the speech that's going to take all the negaim away. We have to take upon ourselves. Now. Now. Before Yom that we're coming into a new year with a Kabbalah, there's going to be no talking in Shul. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben-Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. shabbat Tov.